Hello and welcome to the Driven by Diversity podcast. I'm Mariana. And I'm Steph. And every week we shine the spotlight on underrepresented groups in the world of racing. Our guests share their journey into the sport and also delve into what diversity and inclusion means to them. We hope that we can provide you with real role models who you can relate to and who represent you. And more than that, that you'll feel inspired and encouraged to know that you can make it in motorsport, no matter your background. For our latest episode, we are joined by the brains behind some of McLaren's most exciting and successful activations, including McLaren Unboxed and Substitute Teacher. Sporting a pair of Mika Hakkinen branded pyjamas as a child, some may say our guest's career at McLaren was written in the stars. He shares his best advice and insights on getting your dream job and explains how his path wasn't quite a straight line. We also hear the inside scoop on how the Formula One team is striving to ensure a diverse and inclusive approach to their digital content as well as their workforce and culture. Listen in for a brilliant chat with Senior Digital Brand Manager Nikhil Patel. So it's no secret that McLaren have an incredibly strong brand within F1 and obviously you play an instrumental role in that. Could you tell us a bit more about what your role is within the team and what it entails? Absolutely. Um, first of all, thank you for, for having me on. And, and by the way, I, I hear that I'm following Nick Hamilton. Is that true? <laughs> this is true. I mean, of all people to follow, it's quite quite an extraordinary person. No pressure. No, yeah, exactly. No pressure. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I'm a senior digital brand manager at McLaren and effectively what I do is lead on all content and campaigns across the McLaren group. So that includes our Formula One team and our applied technologies business. And I pretty much lead the team from a content and campaign perspective. So a lot of the things you see on our social media channels, a lot of the things you see on things like YouTube and um, our videos there have kind of got my fingerprints on it. Things like car launches and, and big campaigns really um, is kind of what I do at McLaren. So a little birdie tells me that when you were younger, you used to have um, pyjamas with a certain Mika Hakkinen on them. Shout out mm. to Jazz Divin. <laughs> Clearly with, from that you have been um, a motorsport fan since you were quite young, um, but has it always been the plan to make a career out of it i definitely so i definitely grew up watching formula one um, my brother was a massive ferrari fan massive schumacher fan and i was at that age where i was just wanted to be the annoying little brother and and so i chose to follow mclaren and and yeah i was a massive mick hackenden fan and yeah really embarrassing that i had a pair of mick hackenden pajamas which i think actually my mum bought from india so I, sorry to the this McLaren store guys, but I don't actually think it was real at all. <laughs> That'll be your next activation. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Pajamas <laughs> is the way to go forward. But yeah, I, I, it was my dream to work for McLaren. If you could ask me any brand or any company to work for, McLaren was number one, but I just never thought it was possible. When I was younger, I used to go on the McLaren website and back then it was quite a plain grey um, website, pixelated. It barely had a career section and if it did, it had two or three jobs on it, which was more geared to engineering. And that just really wasn't um, what I wanted to do at the time. And just I just thought it was really impossible um, and never really considered a, a, a possible kind of career opportunity at all. So how did you find your way into your current role now then? So during my time at college, my friend and I had quite a successful sports memorabilia um, company, which was doing well and we were earning decent money, not loads of money, but decent money at the time. And I didn't really know what I wanted to do. Like many people kind of at that A-level stage, I... 
um i took my off my studies at a level actually did really bad in my first year at a levels um, and had to retake the year and then came back from that and like many people at that time when you're 18 and you don't really know what you're going to do in life i kind of defaulted on university i did probably the most generic um, degree you can do in business which is business management in birmingham and one of the kind of one of the most interesting modules on that degree was marketing and it was the kind of creative element of marketing that really kind of piqued my interest and i quickly learned that that was something that i was quite good at and something i'd like to do as a career and then after leaving university i moved to london and Kent uh, worked a couple of jobs that weren't exactly glamorous and didn't really match my expectations of what my career would be after graduating. And then I actually just quit and because my mind wasn't 100% in it and I'm the kind of person that wants to put everything into my into my job. And so I quit and moved back home and I actually found myself unemployed for a few months and anybody that's been in unemployed will tell you it's quite it's quite a challenge uh, mentally and I my kind of daily routine was waking up applying for three jobs having breakfast going back applying for another three jobs having lunch and then applying for another three jobs and that was kind of my daily routine and I yeah at the time I, I you just want when you've graduated you just want your life to get going and I felt like I, I wouldn't say failed but I think at that time I just didn't do exactly what I thought I would do at that time and then I then I got a job at a university in Leicester as a marketing officer and it was the most it was as a marketing officer but it was the most broad kind of job you can do so I, I gained experience in social media events I managed their customer relation uh, relationship platform Microsoft so that really gave me a good standing in marketing and I was there for about three years and then in my final year I was in I was in charge of a TV campaign with a company called Framestore who's famous VFX company and I remember going to their offices once in London and they had a I walked in and there was a massive Lewis Hamilton uh, poster but Lewis as a as a cartoon character (laughs) and I was obviously obsessed with Formula One and throughout the whole meeting probably not wise but throughout, throughout the whole meeting with Framestore I just kept asking them you know and they were quite quiet probably because they were under, under NDA, but I just kept asking them question after question about what the, what this Lewis poster was and, and what they were doing. And they probably thought I was a bit weird for that at the time. <laughs> um, but it turned out they were working on something called McLaren Tuned. And I, I, I just instantly kind of got that buzz for, for working in Formula One and, and really wanted to get back into, um, into following motorsport and really wanted a job. And so I must have applied for quite a few roles within motorsport, not just Formula One. And then I saw that McLaren applied uh, were recruiting and that's the technology side of McLaren and they were recruiting for a digital ex- executive at that time who could help the business with it with its rapid expansion um, in terms of recruitment employment and uh, brand employer and it wasn't to be honest with you it wasn't the most kind of again glamorous job or um, my ideal role but I knew there were some sim- similarities there with um, my job at the university and I, I kind of just saw it as my foot in and I was determined to get in and smash it and just do as well as I can and with the hope that one day I'd get the opportunity to progress and working on the Formula One side and I think I think that's quite that's probably a lesson to anyone listening that it's so rare that your career path is absolutely perfect and you walk into your ideal role you have to be flexible um, and you have to have faith in yourself that you'll eventually reach your end goal or where you need to go. I think the second thing is you will encounter failures. Like I didn't do great academically and securing a job after graduation wasn't um, easy as well. And I kind of failed 
I suppose at that stage, but it's how you kind of bounce back and um, just be, be be persistent in that in that case. And then the third thing was what I didn't realize at the time is that you don't have to have your kind of whole life mapped out when you're 18 years old. I think that's a massive problem in schools where you choose your A-levels and then your A-levels determine what you do at university and what you do at university ultimately determines what job you get. And I think that's something that college students, particularly at that age, where they can be easily influenced and need a lot of guidance. Um, and then the last thing on that whole kind of story is that there's no shortcuts around hard work and you'll get rejections and you'll get knockbacks and you'll have to take a role that you not might be 100% happy with, but it's all about working hard and just trying to get um, where you need to be. Yeah, and I think that those pieces of advice are really important. And like you said, when you're younger, you are sort of under the impression that those decisions you make at A-levels, etc., are the be-all and end-all, which just isn't the case. And as you get older, you start to realise, oh God, actually, I'm not even going in the direction I wanted to go in. And so many people have that sort of 20s, like bit of a meltdown where we're all like, oh, where do we go now? <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. We, we At McLaren, we have people who have studied law and they work in communications. We have people that study politics and they work in social media. I think university is a good place to develop kind of life skills and develop some form of kind of specialist knowledge in that area. But it's, yeah, I wouldn't say it's the be all and end all and, and your options are endless when you leave absolutely and now that you are actually within the industry and you have put yourself into you know your dream job what sort of advice would you give to young people who want to get in to help strengthen their applications is there work experience that you would recommend or other bits like that yeah well 100% work experience it kind of sounds cliche but any voluntary work uh, at locomotive sport clubs or if you're even lucky to get a, a kind of graduate or internship at a formula one team then great but any experience really shows the employer that you're kind of willing to learn and, and passionate about motorsport. If it's kind of marketing or PR or um, comms that you're interested in and you can't catch a break, my advice would be to start creating content, whether that's a podcast, whether it's a YouTube channel, whether it's a you want to write a blog and show off your writing skills, copywriting skills, or you just want to start a Twitter account and just start talking about motorsport and Formula One, if that's your passion. But I think showing that willingness to get involved in conversations will definitely help. And then I think the third thing is going back to what we said before is that it, you may not find your dream role at the start, but try to get your foot in um, at some formal level in motorsport. And you can always work your way up if you had if you have a good company, if you join a good company that allows progression, then you can definitely get there. And probably the fourth thing is persistence and never give up and and, and always keep trying. Yeah, like I said, I would have I would I would have applied to tens of jobs in motorsports, and so yeah, definitely. I think that's definitely key to never give up. And as you as you said, it can be a zigzag. There's no straight line to this. I mean, for some people, there's a straight line. They're the lucky ones. Um, but definitely, working different roles with different jobs can help you create and round off all those different experiences and, and bring them into you know where you want to be and uh, then you can obviously apply those there uh, with all the knowledge you've gained along your along your journey yeah is there any particular characteristics that you would look out for in a successful applicant to to what you do now within um, the digital comms team what sort of characteristics and qualities would you want to see in someone um, who would go on to be successful and thrive in in that particular role i think one of the main things again it might sound quite cliche but kind of hard work and the willingness to learn quickly because 
I think what I didn't realize until I got into the industry is how how kind of un- unconventional the hours can be. You're working evenings, you're working weekends, and you have to have that real drive and desire to really love motorsport and have a passion for it to do those long hours. Because if you don't, then it could become very overwhelming. And to be honest with you, we, we've seen that before in people that have joined McLaren and it's a high, very, very high performance environment and everybody has to be at maximum pace all the time. And particularly with McLaren and, and, and our ambitions, we have, you know, roles in motorsport, in, in Formula One, IndyCar, and also on the technology side and also in, also in automotive. So there, there are many opportunities, but every single level you join at McLaren is a high performance environment so yeah having that hard work and desire to to learn quickly there's always room to make mistakes but you have to learn quite quickly and and get past that. I know that McLaren have recently launched the McLaren Substitute Teacher series which has been providing STEM lessons to school children age could you tell us a bit more about that and why you guys thought that it would be important to create something like that? Yeah absolutely so that's one of the um projects I'm leading on um, at the moment and we're all incredibly proud about McLaren Substitute Teacher. The the origin of it was when schools went into lockdown because of the the pandemic, we very quickly realised that there was a gap in the education um, system where schools would usually teach STEM subjects, science, technology, engineering and maths. And one of our partners, Dell Technologies, our partnership is founded um, on those principles in terms of STEM. So we quickly got together and thought of ways we could add supplementary educational materials for children, but also for parents. You know, it's difficult as a parent juggling uh, childcare and homeschooling and then also having your career. So there were quite a few facets that we were aiming to cover when we first came up with the concept. And also we had quite a few engineers that were had some time on their hands and we thought uh, of aligning the Key Stage 3 curriculum to what we could align in terms of Formula 1 principles. So, for example, in physics, aerodynamics is, is a key principle in, in Key Stage 3. And so we got our lead um, aerodynamicist, Marianne Hinson, to teach kids about aerodynamics. Um, and these were kind of short six to ten minute short educational clips because we know the, t- the type of audience we're targeting in terms of kind of ex- attention span and how much you can really deliver in a short period of time. Um, and one of the kind of key take takeouts from the whole series was that we actually saw a 50-50 uh, gender split in viewership of our content, which is quite rare in motorsport. I think we're usually at about kind of 70 30 in terms of male to female split and we very purposely chose a diverse group of very talented engineers to deliver those lessons and i think the power of watching a a female engineer or an engineer of an asian background just connected with the audience and it and it's something that I hope we can bleed into all of our content going forward because it definitely has an impact. Yeah, that's really important what you've just touched on there about the kids being able to see people from a range of different backgrounds. And the series is obviously a really accessible way to put out content and to reach a wide range of people and especially kids that may not otherwise have had the interest. But, you know, you've put it out in such an accessible, easy to digest way 
that it's obviously had a really positive impact. So we know that diversity is obviously a big topic in motorsport right now and the underrepresentation of a range of people from a, a range of backgrounds is something that people really want to tackle. You've obviously done the McLaren um, substitute teacher program. What other ways do you think that teams can actually help to challenge that? So I think I think it starts from quite a few levels. So I think definitely senior management at McLaren or any team um, need to create a safe environment for people to talk openly and honestly about um, what they think uh, the culture is at the organization. And then the second level down from that is actually listening to your employees and because no one else will be more truthful and honest and raw about what it's like to work at your organization than your own employees. And the thing I try to do when I think everyone should try to do is actually educate your leaders. I'm I'm very active on social media and I think bringing to light stories or things that are happening in social media and society as a whole, bringing to light those issues to senior management can only help tackle the problem. And I think the next thing is actually having the conversation. So whether it's workshops or whether it's one-to-one conversations um, with your people, really getting to the root of the problem and then putting that into kind of actionable insight um, and finding solutions to to what is what could be a roadblock to people joining joining the organization or people progressing within the organization. And how are McLaren in particular addressing the lack of representation uh, within within the team and on a wider scale? Are they doing anything currently behind the scenes? Yeah, absolutely. So McLaren, in terms of what you've seen in Formula One so far, particularly over the last month or two with the We Races One initiative, at the moment, it may seem from an outside that uh, we've come out with a campaign and I think there's an expectation to put that into action action and so i think starting from next week mclaren will kick off a a series of workshops to speak to those people diversity equity and inclusion workshops and the the purpose of those workshop workshops is to speak to people from all different areas of the business from all different backgrounds and to really understand what the issues are of what could be stopping people either joining the organization or what could stop people progressing within the organization or how McLaren could build a more inclusive environment. I think it's on McLaren to create an organization where people can feel comfortable enough to share their opinions and and feel comfortable enough to um, do their best work at McLaren, because that's ultimately what McLaren wants people to do their best work. And to do that, we need to create the right environment. So I think those workshops are a good start, but then it's about turning those workshops into actionable um, insights and then putting them into practice. I definitely agree with that, that the focus on not just the words, but actually having to put actions behind it. Um, At the moment, we're obviously seeing the end racism message that Formula One are putting out, which is brilliant to see. But how do you think we can ensure that the issue stays relevant and the action is actually taken further down the line when the momentum sort of dies down a little bit? I think at all levels, we just need to continue the conversation for sure. From this podcast all the way up to board level at teams and I think one of the things that uh, needs to be done is an ongoing conversation but also I'd like to see teams commit to maybe not percentages but a numerical um, or statistical change so 
a team setting out their two-year goal, their five-year goal, um, 10-year goal, and uh, being accountable to that because that's the only way we're going to measure change. It's great having these conversations um, and we should have these conversations. But in terms of measuring KPIs and, and how the industry is changing, there's only way one way to do that and that's to track that that change. Yeah, for sure. I think that's um, definitely something to, to bear in mind so that you can actually see the difference uh, and, as you say, be held accountable, much like, for example, a lot of organisations these days have um, gender pay gap reports and things like that. So, you know, they've set out their KPIs and then they go and review them and publish a report on that. Do you agree in that that's quite similar in, in that way with diversity? Yeah, my personal opinion on that is, yes, I think I think we need the transparency to move forward because we've seen some of the changes that the gender pay gap report can bring. And I think some healthy pressure on organisations to be transparent and, again, put that into action and make changes is always a good thing. Brilliant. So obviously within Formula One at the moment, they've launched their own campaign as the We Races One um, initiative. What are your thoughts on that? Can you talk to us a bit about what you think of their specific campaign? I th- well, first of all, I think it's great that Formula One has decided to do something and are aligned on the, the message of We Races One. And I think it's multifaceted. So the We Races One campaign really speaks to partly the frontline workers who have done an amazing job during the coronavirus pandemic, but then also speaks to yeah the lack of diversity that clearly is in motorsport. And I think we still have some way to go to align all, as you can see during the races, during before the races, the drivers, for example. There's a long way to go, but I think the kind of main purpose behind the campaign is to drive change. And it really is on the FIA, Formula One, and the teams to step up and to put structures in place to tackle this problem. And Formula One is incredibly competitive on the track um, and off the track in terms of recruitment. But I, I do think this is something that the teams need to work together on tackling and one of the things I think uh, that can be done is or we want like to see done is diversity and inclusivity at board level and senior level and I think that will be the catalyst for change because I think you need a proportionate representation at that senior level to give people opportunities and, and to make a difference and what I would also like to see come from a joined up thinking is more opportunities for underprivileged communities. So it, it could be grants and scholarships given to underprivileged people um, and whether that's scholarships to universities to pursue STEM subjects, for example, or it could be um, grants for talented drivers starting in the karting, karting phase of, of their career. So at all levels, I think we need to work together, whether it's the governing body or the teams. And that's the only way we're going to do it together. You touched on there the the fact that you would like to see a more a more diverse boardroom across motorsport. And even when we look at the paddock, it's it's not really that diverse, um, whether that's ethnically or with disabled people, uh, for example, as another uh, example of an underrepresented group. Why do you think that is? Why do you think motorsport generally, like the entire landscape, isn't as diverse or inclusive as it as it should be? I think fundamentally. Motorsport is still an elitist sport. 
I think with some other sports like football and cricket, where you can pick up a ball or a bat and a ball and play anywhere in the world, there are so many barriers to entering Formula One at all levels. It costs hundreds of thousands of pounds to become a Formula One driver and climb up the ranks. It costs hundreds of pounds to go to a Grand Prix and watch a race live, which a lot of people don't have. It even costs money to watch Formula One on TV. And it, and just that monthly subscription is, is a struggle for a lot of people. So for me, there are so many barriers to entry that Formula One and motorsport as a whole need to address to increase the inclusivity uh, from people from underrepresented communities. And just me speaking uh, on a personal level, I think me as an Indian, I think there are kind of deep rooted cultural barriers to entering industries like motorsport. So, you know, if my mum was on this podcast right now, she'd probably tell you she wished I followed law or medicine. And those kind of traditional career paths that are more safe and perhaps more stable than chasing a job at McLaren is something that myself uh, and other people from those communities need to do to educate their parents and people in their family that pursuing careers in industries like motorsport, as long as you're passionate about it, can provide great long-lasting careers. Do you think now in this digital age with social media and obviously what you do in your role as such with digital comms, do you think that the the accessibility to motorsport content on the internet in sort of the last 10, 15 years, how that's sort of sort of blown up, do you think that that has, I guess, knocked down one of those barriers and, and made motorsport slightly a bit more accessible to all audiences? 100%. I think one of the one of my main mission when I joined McLaren was to make fans feel as close to the team and the drivers as possible. And there are ways we can do that. And one of the ways I have tried to influence that is through our McLaren and Box series. So at the time, so for those of you who don't know, McLaren and Box is a YouTube series where we show fans behind the scenes of, of what it's like to be in a Formula One paddock, in the hospitality, in the garage, etc. And you kind of get to see candid moments of Carlos and Lando um, interacting with the team. And it's probably our most successful series ever up there with Tuned in terms of viewership. And it's, it's, it's built of a very strong following. But one of the main reasons I even came up with the, the idea or, or the inspiration behind the idea is that I didn't have the money to go to Formula One races growing up. And I haven't been privileged enough to go to a Formula One paddock. So once I got into McLaren, I just wanted to share that access and show fans that don't have that access or that privilege exactly what it's like to be in that environment. And that's one of the key things for me in terms of diversity is diversity of thought. I think you need people from all types of different backgrounds and um, nationalities and religions and whatever to really bring out the best in best ideas and and that that's definitely one thing I pride myself on is providing a different perspective when we when I initially first talked about unbox there were a couple of people that said why would anyone want to see that you you, you can go to a race or why would anyone want to see that because it's, it's not that interesting but 
I knew there was something there that fans would really love and and that kind of raw access of of seeing drivers prepare for a race or seeing mechanics get the car ready or engineers engineering working um and speaking to the drivers before a race is absolutely gold um and I would say one again one of the the proudest achievements as a team was to beam fans live into the garage before the Hungarian Grand Prix on a Zoom call, which if you asked me in 2016 when I joined, would be completely impossible because the organisation at the time wasn't prepared or wasn't geared up to give fans that access. And it's something as a team we've all contributed to. And yeah, having Formula One fans live in the garage before a race is when you consider Formula One sometimes can take itself maybe too seriously the key is finding a line between protecting intellectual property in the garage but also providing fans with great access and great experiences and those experiences that you mentioned there and the things that you guys have been working on are so so amazing like you said there's so many people that just wouldn't have that insight otherwise and i think as a sport that's something that we all need to bear in mind that we need to find ways to still give people who might not be able to afford it because of the fact that you know, like you said, tickets are so expensive to events. We still need to find ways for them to feel involved and to see the behind the scenes and to to get those little peeks into what happens when you do manage to get into a paddock or into a garage or something like that. And on that note, as you said, funding is a massive thing for drivers um, who want to make it into Formula One. And when we're talking about diversity, often people can focus on drivers and the lack of diversity in the actual driving seat. But how do we tackle the lack of diversity behind the scenes in the roles that, you know, aren't drivers, that aren't even STEM subjects, perhaps, like the other roles that are just as important to keep the team going, but also suffer from a lack of diversity? How do you think we can help draw people into them, considering people don't actually have as much visibility of them? I think it's, I can't remember who said this recently, or someone prominent in Formula One, but you can't be what you can't see. And I think I think some of those some of those roles uh, that you see on TV, so whether it's in social media and or comms, I think we definitely need um, representation there because you know it's broadcasted around the world in terms of those those pictures, and you want to see representation there. And then some of the background roles. So, for example, myself, I don't travel to races um, at all. I pretty much sit behind <laughs> sit behind a desk, but. I'm actively trying to get my voice out there. I recently did an interview with Forbes. I'm really happy to be on this podcast and hope that if there's at least one person that listens to this and decides to pursue a career in motorsport, whichever level or whichever profession that is or discipline that is, that that for me that for me would make me happy. And I think it's on it's a responsibility for people like me who are working in motorsport to speak up and share our experiences and to offer guidance to to people that are wanting to get into the industry. I think that's the only way um, we can do it in terms of sharing our experiences and helping people. I think that that's really, really important, the aspect of being vocal, um, just because you know, you're know you not on the TV screens or something like that. It doesn't mean that you still can't offer your insight, whether it's via LinkedIn, whether it's via Twitter, podcasts like this whatever it might be um there's still ways to get your voice out there and as you said these are roles that people may have an interest in but 
they just might not know that there's a space for them and they'll only know that there is by hearing from people like yourself. So I guess moving on from that a little bit, what do you hope to see change in the industry in terms of diversity over the coming years? What do you hope the We Race as One initiative might achieve? In the short term, I hope it brings light to issues because there there are still some people that may say it's not an issue, but it clearly is an issue. And I think in the short term, if we can all rally around and work together to very quickly identify what the barriers are to entry. And in the long term, I just want to see change. I want to see um, teams and the sport held accountable for the proportionate representation in the sport. And ultimately, I think that's what everyone wants to see. If Formula One is to be, is to survive and to be this progressive sport, it currently is, we're going to need to see that change. And there's no doubt in that. So Steph, it was really fantastic speaking to Nick there and hearing all about his journey into McLaren. I think it's really important that we hear from those people behind the scenes, as of course, we're so used to just seeing the drivers, the engineers who are on our TV screens, but there are so many people behind the scenes who are so important to making the sport function. Yeah, I think that really links into what we were discussing earlier in the conversation, where Nick said he didn't think it was possible to work at McLaren because the only roles he was seeing on the website were engineering roles. But F1 has now become much more accessible through digital content since Liberty loosened the reins. And that's really allowed us to be exposed to the full picture and and those behind the scenes running the show as well. Talking of digital content, it's really great how mindful McLaren are of diversity, both from an ethnic and gender point of view within their campaigns. And it really just shows how important it is to make content that is relatable, especially as we have such a global fan base. I agree. It's really informed and well thought out marketing that's obviously delivering the right results for them. And it's not just the campaigns with which they're being mindful about diversity. Obviously, they're holding those workshops internally too that Nick told us about. So I wonder if we'll see the insights from them published or at least actions as a result of of those workshops. Yeah, I really hope we do. And on another note, one final point to pick up from our conversation is that with GCSE and A-level results this month, it's super important to highlight that your grades are not the be-all and end-all. And also for recent graduates, follow your passion and don't feel that you're limited by your degree. Absolutely, that is such sound advice. Thank you once again to Nick for such an enjoyable conversation and in what must be quite a busy period of the season too. If you want to connect with Nick, you can do so on LinkedIn by searching Nikhil Patel. We'll also put his handles for Instagram and Twitter in the podcast description of this episode, so you can search him there too. You can also follow us on Instagram at We Are Driven by Diversity. As for us, we'll be back next Tuesday with a brand new episode of the Driven by Diversity podcast.